You're listening to Sobriety with Ari Eastman. Hey, that's me. Well, hello, tea heads. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a nickname for the 50 of you that listen to every episode. That's right, 50. So many of us, we couldn't even gather indoors or outdoors. Actually, I don't know. I don't know what the latest CDC recommendation is. This is a rocket ship straight to the podcast stars. You better hop on. Toot toot, bitch, we're going. Me and my tea heads. Yeah, tea heads does not sound very good. Um, and tea party has been ruined by those weirdos. So, uh, I don't know. Um, hey, recovery rat <laughs> No. No, all right, we're just gonna workshop it. Uh, if you have any suggestions, please send them my way. Uh, anyway, hey everyone! Thanks for tuning in to Sobriety with Ari Eastman, a podcast where we discuss recovery and mental health and alcohol and society and pop culture. Uh, that's the description I tell people. Welcome to the podcast, where I ramble for 15 minutes. I keep saying every week that I'm going to release an hour-long podcast, because, you know, every podcast I listen to is a minimum of 45 minutes. And I'm out here with my 15-minute little little dingy-dangy, this little dingy-dangy podcast. Uh, it's really hard to talk to yourself for a long time. I thought it would be a piece of cake. I hop on Instagram stories and I talk for five minutes and somehow thought that qualified me to make a podcast and that an hour would be no big deal. You know, the narcissist and the imposter. Two sides live within me. We are coming up towards the end of March, which is crazy, and I say this... With every month, I'm like, I cannot believe it's almost April. But I think we're sort of all collectively in a state of shock and disbelief that this pandemic has, you know, been happening for a year because it's felt like very long and also a state of limbo. So it's a very weird place to be where it's a long time, a short time. What is time, really? But there's a lot of hope. Pandemic is still happening. It's still occurring. So still do your part. Wash your hands. Wear your mask, you know, get vaccinated. I'm fully vaccinated. I feel very lucky that I was able to do that. No bad side effects. I mean, I can now communicate with spiders. Like, I can read their minds, but um, I don't think that has anything to do with the vaccines. But yeah, you know, keep doing, keep doing your things. Keep washing your hands. I mean, a, a pandemic should not have happened for us to be like, you should wash your hands. What were people doing? Like, you, please... When COVID-19 no longer is a threat to the world, please keep washing your hands, you sickos. Ugh, anyway, uh, so March, we're at, we're coming towards the end of March. March is kind of a weird month for me. I've actually always said this, that I get weirdly depressed in the springtime. Springtime and summer, I really don't like them. <laughs> I have, I have like complete, complete opposite of seasonal depression. Fall comes and I'm like, yeah, baby. Winter comes. Again, I live in Los Angeles, so winter comes and I'm like, ooh, 50 degrees. And then springtime comes and the flowers bloom and the, the sun shines and the birds sing. And everyone's like, let's wear our spring dresses and go outside in the sun. And I'm like, it's hot outside and I don't like the sun. I really do not know why I live in Los Angeles. I think at some point I will move somewhere where it's a little colder and rainy and I can enjoy dreariness. 
And, you know, every time I say this to people, anyone who has lived anywhere that is cold and actually has seasons, they always look at me like, shut the fuck up. And I get it. I'm California, born and raised. I've only lived in Northern California and Southern California. So I'm very spoiled in terms of I've, I've had just good weather. I don't really know what it's like to live in the cold. I get sad when it's sunny. So obviously something's wrong with my brain and I already knew that, but this just further confirms it. I think there's just themes around spring of like, rebirth and starting over and spring cleaning and you're gonna you're, you're a little little daisy and you're gonna sprout through the earth and blossom and part of me is like yeah I like that and there's inspiration in that and I, I obviously feel that way with recovery there are many parts of spring and coming you know growing out of the dirt of winter that I can relate to but there's also some weird like pressure and anytime there's expectations this is why I don't like New Year's this is why I don't like um, big holidays like that anytime I feel like I'm expected to feel something or like something or enjoy something or be inspired by something I get stressed out because I feel pressure you know it's with with New Year's too oh there's this pressure that I'm just gonna emerge and be a new person and a better person and all those bad things I ever did they're done and I'm you know brand new and I think that's a mistake sometimes we even make in starting out in sobriety journeys is putting almost too many expectations on yourself and 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 being like oh tomorrow I'm gonna be a completely different person and that's not super sustainable and that's not super healthy and it's like, you know, baby steps. I, you know, my mom the other day, she was like, you're so healthy now. And I'm like, well, I don't drink alcohol anymore. And I drink a lot of water, but I eat a shit ton of frozen yogurt. If you put a bag of salt and vinegar chips in front of me, I'm going to eat the whole bag and I don't exercise all that much. So it's like, yeah, I'm healthier. I didn't give up alcohol and suddenly start going to 6 a.m. yoga. That did not happen. That will never happen. Grief tends to show up for me in springtime, especially in March. My dad's birthday is March 25th. For those new here, my dad is dead. <laughs> I feel like everybody knows that. I talk about it a lot online. He died in 2008 when I was 16. I'm 29 now, so it's not new. It's been a minute. But grief is a lifelong relationship. It's something that doesn't go away in time. It just changes and it blends. And then randomly, it shows up and you're like, grief? What are you doing here? I'm just trying to buy some frozen edamame in Trader Joe's. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're here. What's that? You want me to have a flashback memory to grocery shopping with my dad and I'm just crying underneath my face mask? Cool. Grief, thanks. Love it when you show up in public. But as Vision, the hot computer android or whatever the hell he is from the Marvel Universe says in that WandaVision episode that really fucked me up and had me choking on tears, what is grief if not love persevering? Grief is love persevering in terms of loss. If you lose someone you love to death, which if you haven't, uh, spoiler alert, you will one day. Missing someone out of nowhere and having that sudden heartache, even though it's it's been years, that's love. That's love showing up in a painful way, but it's still showing up. And it's hard, but I'd rather it show up than, than never show up. But when we talk about grief and love, and the complicated world that those two things live in, I think it's important to note that not everything has to be a silver lining. You don't have to find meaning in every bad and painful thing that happens. I read something in a bereavement group that basically said, death gives meaning to our existence because it reminds us how precious life is, which is like, okay, 
That's the thing with so much of what we say to people dealing with loss and grief, these platitudes that I guess are well-meaning and they must make somebody feel better at some point or they wouldn't exist, but it's like, come on. Being like, life is precious, appreciate it, doesn't really mean shit when your dad is being wheeled out of your house in a body bag. Like, how is life supposed to feel precious in those moments? I always try to be careful. I'm sure I've fucked up before, but when people are talking to me about something really heavy or painful things, I try to just hold space and listen and validate because sometimes there isn't anything you can say. Being uncomfortable takes practice. I mean, you should see me on dates. Oh, is there a millisecond of an awkward silence or uncomfortable moment? All of a sudden I'm talking about cat herpes. I don't know. Gotta fill any silence with whatever I can. When people are in pain, we want to take the pain away. You know, I definitely revert to being a clown. You know, I was always the clown in my group of friends at school. Some asshole, you know, break my friend's heart. Let me go grab my clown shoes. Do a little jig, make her laugh, perform my stand-up comedy routine about him. That's how I try to help, I guess. But sometimes you can't help. And of course, we don't like feeling helpless or realizing there are things out of our control. But sometimes you just have to let people know that you love them and they aren't alone. Or that they can be alone if they want. When my dad died, I did not act like it. I was 16. I was in a full state of denial. I mean, like, obviously I knew he had died. I knew he was dying. You know, my dad had two different forms of cancer. The first actually went into remission, but he was still getting sick. So they did exploratory surgery. The surgeon basically pulled my mom and I aside and said, you know, he's got about eight to six weeks. Uh, you need to get your affairs in order. So we knew he was dying, but, you know, you can know something and you can see something happening. And it's another thing when... It actually does happen, and it's very hard to process at any age, but especially when you're a teenager. To the outside eye, I probably looked like, why is this girl not sad? I was lip-syncing to Demi Lovato songs in my front yard and making YouTube videos and flirting with my crush on AIM. In fact, my crush, who would later become my first boyfriend, uh, actually came to my dad's like funeral after party service. I don't know what you call it. The part where the funeral, you know, after the funeral where, where we went to somebody's house and there was food, whatever that was, he came. At the funeral, I spoke. I made a video that played. I don't remember any of that. I was blacked out. Not, not because, of, not from alcohol, just from good old fashioned trauma. And I don't remember it. What I remember from that day was seeing my crush and being so nervous and liking him so much and wanting him to break up with his girlfriend for me, which he did eventually do. <laughs> and I just poured my grief into this sort of manic first love. I had sex for the first time only 30 days after my dad died. If you're a teenage girl and your father, your best friend, someone who built you up and taught you so much and loved you so, so much, this man has just died. And those feelings are very, very, very bad and very painful and very hard to even process. And so, you know, they feel like they're going to swallow you into some black hole that you can't crawl out of. So there's that on one hand. And then on the other hand, your crush wants to have sex with you and be your boyfriend. And oh my God, kissing and getting naked is so fun. And this feels so much better. Let me just put all of my focus on this. I put all of my intensity of my dad dying and that grief into being with my first boyfriend. And I don't think it was until you know, he broke up with me, I don't know, four months later that I felt the weight of my dad's death. 
I think at first I just thought I was heartbroken over, you know, young love. And there were definitely elements of that. But it was magnified. That breakup was magnified because all that grief that I had not come to terms with and all of those feelings, it just came crashing down. That's the thing about loss and grief in general. You can't just ignore them. Well, you can't. I mean, you can. You can distract yourself and you can think you're fine and you can convince yourself that you won't feel those bad feelings. But the thing about feelings is they always surface, they always show back up, and sometimes, if you're not prepared, they can show up in harmful or destructive ways. I still grieve my dad all the time, and sometimes in new ways, sometimes in ways I've never experienced before. But, you know, that's our, that's our love persevering. I now have the gift of being able to let those moments come and go, and I don't try to drink them away. I mean, I might indulge in other things. I might play The Sims for like three hours. We are always self-soothing. Do not get me wrong. It's just channeling better ways to do that. My dad never saw me struggle with alcohol, um, and I'm glad about that. But obviously there's a part of me that thinks like, oh, if A or B didn't happen, then C wouldn't have. Who knows what genetic makeup plus trauma plus life circumstances led me to where I am now and where my relationship with alcohol ended up, it's impossible to know. But I think he would be proud of me that I altered my course and that I took a different path and that I'm still finding my footing along the way. Yeah, spring, man. Allergies, am I right? My opposite seasonal depression is here, everyone. People are on spring break even though the pandemic is still happening. Anyone else? Get the springtime blues? Or is that just me? Well, without further ado, it's time for... It's something that made me happy this week. It's my pink cloud of sobriety. So my roommate's birthday was this past week, and we went out for a socially distanced outdoor dinner here in L.A. to celebrate... It's actually so weird. So in L.A., you know, we've had pretty strict regulations and they resumed indoor dining. So, you know, we were only going to do outdoor. I-, I-, I don't know when I will be comfortable with indoor. I mean, Fauci has to literally come and like, I don't know, lick my cheek and be like, you can eat indoors. It's safe, baby. I don't know why I said lick my cheek. <laughs> That's how I will deem that it's safe. When Fauci is comfortable licking people. That's when I know we'll- we're really out of the woods. So anyway, indoor dining has resumed. Um, we had reservations outside. But, you know, we it was so weird to even just walk through and see people eating inside. So I feel like that already kind of like jumbled my brain and my social skills. They are non-existent at this point. Any social skills I had before the pandemic, they are definitely gone now. I, you know, I'm surprised I'm able to order a coffee and I, I don't just go like, me, me, thank you, caffeine, thanks. So we sit outside. It was a really fun night. I got to be DD, which is actually why everyone should have a sober friend. You know, you'll always have a DD. Uh, my two roommates, they ordered cocktails. I ordered my mocktail. It was really fun. And honestly, I I used to be afraid that I wouldn't, I don't know, be able to fit into social situations anymore. And um, my drinking was worsened by social anxiety. So to be around them as, you know, they had their adult drinks and I just sipped my mint soda water or whatever it was, it was really nice and really um, affirming for me. And I almost felt drunk just in their presence, but in a really good way. It's almost like when you're a kid and you're playing tag with your friends and you feel all buzzy and it's, it's just pure endorphins, but the kind your body created all on their own. So, you know, I didn't feel left out. I didn't feel like I wanted to drink. I just had a nice time. 
But yeah, my social skills, not good. They're, they're, they're shot. I kept trying to discreetly flag the waitress to let her know it was my roommate's birthday so she could, I don't know, put a candle in something, maybe give her a free dessert, you know, whatever they do at restaurants. Every time I went, went to flag her down, I'd be like, oh shit, I got to put my mask back on. So I would like grab my mask. My mask would like fall out of my, you know, purse. I go, I'm like trying to get her. She, she's already at a table. I don't want to go up to the table because it's like too close. I don't want to go within six feet of her or the other table. So I'm just waiting for her to come pass by me. And I would just be so flustered. Then I'd see her coming by. I'd get up. Oh shit. I didn't have my mask. Gotta go grab my mask. Every time I'd be like, it's her birthday. I'm sorry, what did I say? Oh, where's my mask? It's her birthday. And I just could not do it in any sort of subtle way. I literally said to my roommate, can you not look at me as I tried to flag the waitress down? I started just getting so stressed out and so nervous and so in my head. And then people would walk by and, you know, people are all wearing masks. And I'm like, which one is even our waitress? I don't know. I, 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 I'm losing the ability to recognize her. I got I got too stressed out. And I just said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. <laughs> the, the, the thought was nice. The intention was there. So that was not successful, but the night as a whole was successful. So, you know, that was a good time. Well, everyone, thanks for tuning in to Sobriety. Um, I will see you next week. There will be guests coming. It won't just be me talking, which is going to be great. I suspect those episodes will be longer, which is amazing. Um, although it's amazing you've, you've even tuned in for this long. And I appreciate it. And I say thank you. Uh, if you are so inclined, you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It does help. Tell a friend. Tell, 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 tell someone who you think should stop drinking to give, to give a listen. No, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not the way to approach that. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.